All right, let's, if you'll open in your Bibles to Romans 8, I want to talk today about Romans 8.13. We're going to pull a sentence out and tear it apart and see what it has in there for our daily life here. So in Romans 8, I mean in our community group, we're, we're, about, we're, we're going through Romans as well. We're about four chapters behind Shane, it's hard to catch up to him there. But uh, so we've been going through Romans eight, and a few weeks ago, uh, we we had on verse thirteen here and talked about it, and that's what we want to talk about today. So Romans eight thirteen says, "For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." So Paul's here is talking about killing things, right? Putting things to death. These deeds of the body. And so if you're a believer, you're in a battle. And according to this, it's a battle for life or death. And there is no other way to life. And so this this killing of these deeds of the body here, as he says, it's a requirement. Now John Owen, one one of the Puritan writers, wrote an entire book with 14 chapters on this one verse. Now it's called the the mortification of sin, right? One of those good old English words, mortification, means putting to death, right? Killing uh, sin. And he summarized it this way, which is just a pretty good way to summarize it all. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So as we look at this verse in, in Romans eight thirteen, there are five things uh, within this verse that we want to talk about this morning. The first one is, it's personal, right? It says, if you, if you live, if you put to death, All right? So it's about, it's a, it's a, a personal verse, so, but who is the you that we're talking about here? Believers. Believers, right. How do you know that? That's who was written to, right? Exactly, right. And it, right. If we look just back up in verse one of chapter eight, right? It's it's those who are in Christ Jesus. It's those who, for whom there is now no condemnation. In verse two, it's the you that's been set free by Christ. It's those in whom the righteous requirement of the law has been met. So, in a word, yes, it's true believers, and that's important because. This is not a verse for unbelievers. This isn't about justification and getting right with God, right? You've got to go kill all your sin and then you're right with God. No, he's talking to believers and we've got to keep the, you know, where we are in the process right. So the you here is personal and it's believers. So that's the first thing. The second thing here is it's conditional. If you live and if you put to death. Right. We'll talk more about that in a minute because there are some things we need to make sure we have right there. The third thing is it identifies the means. So it's personal, it's conditional, it identifies the means. The means is by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about that. Well, what does that mean? Because that's pretty huge. <coughs> Fourthly, it identifies the duty. What is it that we're called to do in this verse? And that's to mortify or kill the deeds of the body. And then fifthly, there's a promise. 
If we do perform the duty, you will live. So let's start with that last one, the promise. So what does he mean, you will live? If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Eternal life. How do we know he's talking about eternal or spiritual life? Because of Romans 6, which before that he's saying the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. Yeah, it's got to be spiritual or eternal life here, and we know that because, well, on the one hand, right, everybody, whether you fight sin or not, physically dies, right? So it can't be talking about the physical death. It's talking about eternal or spiritual life. So that's the promise. That's what we're, we're talking about here is eternal life, spiritual life. So let's jump back up to number two there where it says it's conditional. So we've established we're talking about believers. And if we're talking about eternal life, and this is a conditional verse, then if we pull this verse out, does that mean that I can, and you can lose your salvation? Right? This is one of those verses where if you just yank it out of context and look at it, you could say, well, then if I'm not doing this, I could lose my salvation. Because conditionals often express uncertainty, like if we live, we will do such and such from James, right? That means, you know, I don't know whether I can do such and such tomorrow. It's based on whether I can live or not, whether God grants me breath tomorrow. So does this verse mean I can go for years and years as a true believer, then one day I quit killing sin in my life and I eternally die, my salvation is gone? That's the question. No. Why not? It's completely different from everything else taught in Scripture. <clears throat> Therefore, you're by the Spirit, so if you're saved, you have the Spirit. And so this, you know, you're gonna, God's going to come after you through Spirit's going to convict you, and you'll be brought back to walk with Him. Because it's done, we know that, because when we are regenerated, it's always, it's not I, 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 but it's He justifies. He will glorify. He will Right. Yeah, we can't, we can't yank this sentence out of context and say, see, it is conditional, right? We've got to take the entire scriptures as a whole. The chapter itself, it's saying, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, in verse 9. And then uh, verse 14 says, for all who are being led by the spirit, these are the sons of God. Right. Yeah, so we can't take this, you know, proof texting take things out of context and on their own say, see, it teaches this. Right. Yeah, because there, you know, there are three ways that conditional statements could be used, right? One is, yeah, it's this uncertainty about, uh, well, you know, I could lose this if I don't do this. Well, that's one way a conditional could be used. But conditionals can not only express uncertainty, they can also be used to express a certainty of linkage. These two things always go together, right? If this, then always this, right? Like, if you drop that hammer on your foot, it will hurt. 
Right? That is not an uncertainty. That is a certainty. These two things are linked. They always go together. Right? I drop that hammer on my foot, I will have pain in my brain. Right? There is, they are certain. It is a certainty of linkage. If you take this medicine, your health will improve. Right? It's not uncertainty. It's a certainty that the two things are linked. So in this case, true spiritual life and killing sin are most assuredly linked together. Now, there's a caution here, and that it is not a cause and effect relationship. Mortifying sin or killing sin in our lives does not cause life. So we don't want to go that way with it either. Because Paul has spent over seven chapters here on justification by faith alone. And we've got to be careful not to throw it away uh, here. Right? Your killing sin doesn't make you right. And it does not give you life. Right? Because you have life, eternal life, a free gift of God, and you do not earn it, mortifying sin will follow. But it is not the cause. And we've got to be careful of that. Right? Killing sin is a certainty that you will have that you will also have when God gives you life. Therefore, it is true that if you mortify sin, you will live. And that's the sense of the conditional here. All right, so again, the context is vital. We can't yank a verse like this out in isolation and use it to say our justification or salvation is dependent on works. That's not what we're talking about here. All right, this is a verse in Romans 8. And like we said, Paul has built seven chapters of ink saying justification is by faith alone and Christ alone apart from any works. And we've we got to be jealous of the gospel here and not lose it um, as we look at, at, at things like this. So no, it's not about losing salvation. It's a certainty that the two things are linked. And then, Mark, as you were saying, there's another use for a conditional, and that is presenting a truth like this as a conditional can be used as a diagnostic, right? So if, if we're in a situation when we read a verse like this and we say, well, I never mortify sin. I'm not worried about sin, right? When I can sin, it doesn't bother me at all. Then I can use a... A, a truth like this expressed in a conditional like this as a diagnostic. Right? It doesn't mean I've lost anything. It means I've never had it to begin with. Right? If I don't care about the sin in my life, if I don't battle it, if I don't make efforts to try and kill it in my life, then it doesn't mean that I had salvation and lost it. It means those two are certainly linked. So if I don't have one then I, I didn't have the other to begin with. Right. So we can use it as a, diagnost a diagnostic, which I think is one of the reasons he, he phrased it this way. So the two go together, and missing one doesn't mean you lost the other. It means you probably never had either. So that's the condition part of this. Now question four is we've got the condition... And we've got the person, and we've got the promise. Now let's talk about the duty. So a question. I've got to kill the deeds of the body. So 
alarm clock went off this morning. And I reached over with my arm and turned it off, and I swung my legs out of bed and stood up and went and took a shower and got dressed and got in the car and used my arms and legs to drive here. And, uh, you know, walked into the building and walked up here. And I'm using my tongue to, to teach this morning. That's an awful lot of deeds of the body this morning, right? awful lot of things of, that we all did with our bodies, deeds of the body to get here. Is that what he's talking about? This is telling me I'm supposed to somehow put to death the deeds of the body. Well, no, of course, right? But it does set up three questions for us about what does this really mean then? First of all, what does he mean by body? I'm going to put to death the deeds of the body. What are we talking about there? What's the body? The flesh, the sinful nature. Right, it's the same as the flesh, right? He, he's, I mean, even in the first part of the verse, right? He says the, the, uh, the flesh. So it's the same as the flesh. The old self. Or some other ways to describe it. contrasting body or flesh right with the spirit the body of sin our sin nature right the old self the pride of life yep so when he's talking about the deeds of the body here then body is the the corruption or the depravity of our nature our physical body is the container and the means of expressing that sinful nature. Right? So the sinful nature takes the members of our body, arms, hands, feet, whatever. In fact, what's at the top of the list, according to James? The tongue, right? The tongue. Don't ever forget that part of the body because that's at the top of the list uh, as far as being able to express uh, this body of flesh. Yeah, so the sinful nature takes these members of our body and makes them the instruments of unrighteousness. Right? So it's the seed of lust and, and perverted affections that are rooted in rebellion against the reign of God, our Creator. That's the fleshly nature, and that's what he's talking about by body. And boy, we wish that we shed all of that at the moment of justification, but it's still there, right? And we still battle it day by day. So that's the body. What are the deeds of the body that we're talking about here? The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, browsing. Things like these. Did you cheat? Oh, that, that, that's, that was... He got the notes. I'm going to have to check my computer when I get home and see if you've been logging on to my computer. It's Galatians 5.19. Yeah, so if you're going to cheat, at least get the reference right. Yeah. 
But exactly right. I mean, Paul in Galatians gives us that, gives us a list. And it's a non-inclusive list. But he says, yeah, now the works of the flesh. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So when we're talking about the deeds of the body here that we're supposed to kill, it's these outward deeds that express the inner self. Deeds are what every lust leaves behind as evidence. Another way to say it is sins, with an S, are the evidence of sin, the power or the principle or the nature. So the deeds of the body are not using hands and feet to drive over here for church this morning, necessarily. But it could be. How so, right? Well, if I drove over here to church this morning thinking that, yeah, by standing up here and teaching a Bible study lesson, that I'm making myself right with God and this is going to help outweigh my bad and I'm going to be able to use this to tie God's hands and make Him accept me, then, yeah, then this is a deed of the body. Right? Even this. It's all about the inner self and what's going on in here. Right? Just as an aside, in that, in that list in Galatians 5, you ever notice how in these example lists of sins that we have in Scripture, we have the really bad things like you know, the sexual sins, the impurity, the idolatry, sorcery, and then at the end, we have drunkenness and orgies. And then right in the middle, we have the respectable sins, right? Like envy and jealousy. Right? You ever think about that? You know, it's got these really bad things out there. We think are really bad. And then in the middle is, oh yeah, and envy and jealousy and strife. Just something to think about, you know, I always find that interesting because it's like nobody gets out of that, right? (coughs) Nobody gets away from that. It's all comes from the same root, just expressing itself in different ways, right? So what is meant by mortifying or killing them? These are the, we've talked about what the body is and what the deeds of the body are. Now he says we have to kill them. We have to put them to death. What does that mean? If I mortify or I kill something, what do I do? I take away its life, right? Yeah. I take away the strength or the power or the vigor uh, so that it cannot act on its own. So when I kill something, right, I, I take away its life, its power, its strength. And that's what he's calling us to do with these deeds of the body so Owen in that book boiled it down to this it is the constant duty of believers to mortify the indwelling sin still remaining in their mortal bodies so that it will not have the life and power needed to produce the deeds of the flesh Okay, so we've said it's personal and it's conditional and we see the promise at the end and now we know the 
the duty, what he's talking about. We have to kill these deeds of the body. So now let's talk about the method. Uh, he says it's by the Spirit, right? So there's a there's a somewhat of a warning here. There's there's a method. There's one method that we're to do this. That we're to make war on our sin, and it's by the Spirit. So we have to put to death these deeds of the body. We have to kill them by the Spirit. So let's talk now about what that means. First, let's talk about what are some wrong ways to kill the deeds of the body. Now, people all over the world are trying to kill the deeds of their body that they know or think is harmful to them. Right? Isolation. Isolation. Okay. Yep. What else? Enforcement of the law. Like, don't handle, don't touch, and if you do, you'll be punished by prison. Yep. Legalism. Legalism, yeah. Yeah, there's... There is a lot of, you know, morality and personal improvement out there where people are trying to kill the deeds of the body, but it is not by the Spirit. That's what we want to hone in on here today, right? And, and as we said, with some people, it, it even gets to more extreme levels, such as self-punishment or monasticism, right? Or I'm going to take a vow of poverty or whatever else, right? And... Uh, but it all boils down to a self-effort and not by the Spirit. Right? So killing the sin, basically using our own strength, or carried out in a means that we invent to make ourselves righteous. That's the core of every false religion in the world. Right? So we've got to figure out what we're talking about here that makes this distinctly Christian. How do we kill sin in a distinctly Christian kind of way? Because there are lots of people out there doing all kinds of things to you know, make themselves more moral or improve themselves. So what are we doing by the Spirit. that makes this, yeah, by the Spirit and makes it distinctly Christian and distinguishing it from all the other religions in the world? So that's, that's, that's one thing we need to do. One, one caution there is there's a method prescribed to do this, and it's by the Spirit. So it's, it's, it's narrowing it down to a method. One other caution here, right? When we say we have to do this by the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Right? We're talking about someone who is fully God, a, a person in the Trinity, right? And so he is not a tool that you wield. He is God. Right? We don't wield him as a tool. We're the tool. right? He's God. And he wields us. So we ha- have to be careful that we don't think about the Spirit in this case as, as just this tool that we use. He's a person. He's God. And he's using us. So with those two cautions in mind, what do we do? Yeah, we have to renew our minds. Yeah. Be filled with the Spirit. Yeah. I think 
put on put on that you find in like Ephesians five or Colossians uh, and, and all this work, you're putting off the old nature, you're putting to death those deeds of the flesh through the spirit by being renewed in your mind which is the scripture. So the scripture speaks to your mind and then the, by being obedient to the scripture on the spirit. The spirit is filling you to do the things that are in the scripture to obey. Mm-hmm. And what word did you repeat several times right there? Scripture. Right. Which requires time in the scripture. Which requires time in the scripture. Yeah. And it also requires our heart. There's a verse that says, um, if I, uh, not the verb, if I, something, um, I'm using my verbs um, <coughs> if I, something, iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. So we've got to be honest with our challenge. Okay. Humility. <coughs> yep. Not holding on to it, that we really want to know. Yeah, so, uh, right, all, all of these answers centered around one thing, right? The scriptures. And so, if we think about it, if Paul's saying here, you've got to put to death something, you have got to kill something by the Spirit, that brings to mind something in Ephesians 6. Right, if we're going to kill something by the Spirit, then let's look at Ephesians 6 and the armor of God, right? If we're to kill sin, and we look at the armor God gives believers, there is one offensive weapon in that list, the sword, right? <clears throat> In fact, let's look specifically at Ephesians 6, 17, where he even says, it's the sword of the Spirit. So if I'm to kill something by the Spirit, then I best use the sword of the Spirit to do it. And in 6, 17, he says, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Interesting. So the difference between the biblical way to do this and every other religion out there is what we're using to do it. What is the sword that we're using to do it? Is it the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible? Or is it something else? Is it... You know, the, the the other part of this is if successful, who gets the credit? Is it me? Look what I did. Man, I really hunkered down and, and I killed this thing. Or is it, no, I depended upon God through His Word and He gets all the credit and all the glory. And that builds our faith because yeah. then next time we know we're yeah, so we have to, in order to kill our sin in a, in a distinctly Christian way, right, we have to do it in such a way that God gets the credit and the glory for it, and not us. And so we use His Word. So we do it by setting our minds, like we said, right, renew our minds. We are transformed by renewing our minds. Um, 
setting our minds on the Spirit, on the things of God, so that when we're, when we're tempted or when we're in sin and we bring promises from the Word to mind and we believe them and we trust them, and if we're already in the sin, we repent and, uh, and trust in what we see in the Scriptures. We recall and rely on the character of God, on His promises and His Word. And not just some broad generic idea of, yeah, there's this God somewhere who's good, but the specific God of the Bible and what He has spoken. As I was you know, thinking about this, all right, so I'm to kill the deeds of the body. And that means that, you know, if I'm doing that, I'm, there's a certain linkage. There's a certainty of linkage between that and the fact that, well, then there is eternal life there. And so how do you do that? How does that work out practically in my everyday life and in our everyday life? And I was trying to think of a good example, and I, I came up with an example of, you know, some things I've had to do. I, I remember sitting out on the back porch going just through this in past times. And that's, let's say you're, you're tempted to sinfully worry about finances. Is that practical enough for everybody? <laughs> right. So if that is rising up within us, how do we kill that by the Spirit? Right? In a way that God gets the glory and not us. Well, you go to Matthew six twenty five as one example. And you start reading. And Jesus is talking there and He's telling His disciples, He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life and what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. All right, let's stop right there for a minute. Now, if I do stop right there, I read that sentence and I say, Okay, me, try your best not to be anxious. Because you have been told not to, right? I've got a raw command and now I just need to do it. Is that going to work? No, that's not going to keep me from worrying. It's really actually going to make it worse. Because now I've added on, well, I know I can't do that, and, and now I've just got that added on to it, right? So what do you do? Well, you keep reading. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus has told them not to worry. He's gave them a command. Don't be anxious about your life and what you're going to drink and eat and wear and everything else. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes on and tells us why. So in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. And right now I'm picturing myself sitting on the back porch and looking up in the trees and there are birds flitting around. And I'm looking at them. And he says, They neither sow nor reap 
nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? <clears throat> right? And you just need to let these sentences just hit you, right? Land on you when you're in this situation. Look at the birds. I'm taking care of them. And you are of much more value than they are. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So what use? What are you going to gain by this anxiety? You can't even add a single hour to your life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. And then verse 31. Therefore. Right? And that's one of those extremely important words. Right? Underline it and bold it and highlight it. Because of all of that. Because of who God is. Because he uh, takes care of the birds and the grass and everything. Therefore, focus back on him and his character and who he is. Therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. So, how do you do this by the Spirit? these things are rising up within you, you go to the Scriptures and you go to a passage like this. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching myself this morning with y'all just in the room listening in. I'm telling you. You listen to God tell you that your sinful worry accomplishes nothing. And you calm your anxious heart by contemplating His care for the birds of the air. And that you as His child are of much more value to Him. So He's going to take care of you. And you pray that and you trust that and you bank on that and you contemplate that and let the worry and the anxiety melt away as the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to do that within you. And that way, when you do it, God is getting the glory for you killing this sin. Right? I'm not hunkering down and saying, I'm not going to worry. I have put to death that deed of the body rising up in me by using His Word to look at 
His character and His faithfulness. And that way, He gets the glory. Absolutely, and we see that all through the Psalms, and don't, don't we? Just the, the honest pouring out of our hearts to God. And if we say this is not a problem for us, we deceive ourselves, right? Lifelong, isn't it? Day by day, lifelong. Yeah, so if we put to death the deeds of the body, right? All these things that want to rise up within us by the Spirit, then that is a certainty of linkage of the eternal life that's within us, right? And that by the Spirit is huge. Those aren't throwaway words by any means because that's what makes this way of doing it Christian right? and different than every other religion of the world, every other worldly religion out there. right? Because they don't go to God's Word and they don't trust in specific scriptures or attributes of God or promises of the biblical God. I mean, you think about it. I mean, the false gods of other religions, they, they bark out commands left and right, right? And just call their people to just submit to it. And we are to submit and obey. But it's about why we're doing it. Because we have gone to the Scriptures and we've read the Scriptures and we know the Scriptures and we, we know the God of the Scriptures. Follow Him. So let's make sure our, our sin killing is Christian by using the Spirit, the sword of the Word. And it is a lifelong battle, our whole life long. A daily battle to take God at His Word. Okay. Yes? Yeah, it's, a, it's the Holy Spirit is doing the sanctification of us. And also as well, the, the Holy Spirit provides means to, to get into that. And five of those are the Scripture, 
of praying, fellowship, obedience, and the promise of God, we have to be active to get into those being of the Holy Spirit in a way to, you know, mortify that sin and keep progressing in our life as well. Yeah, it's definitely active, right? We all wish we could just sit in a chair and be zapped, right? Just zap us and make us this way. But no, it's a it's an active pursuit. Sanctification is a an active battle, right? I mean, this whole thing is phrased in terms of battle, right? And you've got to go out and kill something. You've got to go out and actively kill the sin, the deeds of the body in our life. And then in the last few minutes, he says in verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now, there are 40 million ideas out there about what being led by the Spirit means, right? And some of them get wacky. Right? It can mean anything from, well, my ill-informed conscience is at peace with my own inner desire to do something anyway. So I'm led by the Spirit, right? Because I have a peace about something. Which just means I'm not in conflict internally with what I wanted to do anyway. Right? Or I'm having a hyped-up emotional experience. Man, the Spirit's really leading today. Or, you know, you get into mysticism where there's some, you know, still small voice that's, that I'm hearing. But if we stay in the context of what Paul's talking about here, right, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, and what's he just said the Spirit will lead us to do? Kill the sin in our lives, right? So you could almost read that, for all who are led by the Spirit of God in this way are sons of God. So that gets to that diagnostic piece, right? How do you know whether you're a son of God? Well, if you're led by the Spirit of God in this way, using His Word to kill the sin in your life. Daily. Okay, any other comments of this not we'll close in a word of prayer oh okay I was listening to those five means I have here scripture pray fellowship obedience and the providence of God providence and what were those called under what was that title of that five things
Okay, well, let's pray.